CrossPolitik begins in three, two, one. Stop a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> Is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is King of Kings, and it's about time our nation returned in humble submission to His Lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. I didn't start it. Sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the Spirit comes upon people, they go to war. They go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back, and they're slaughtered. You are listening to Cross Politic with Gabe Wrench, the Waterboy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Hello, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politic Special Edition. You we, sound all smooth. Like, I know. Like it's golf. I'm holding my voice. <laughs> I'm holding my voice. We are in the house of uh, Jim Wilson, who is a pastor, a author, um, a all things ministry, and the godfather, basically, of I think a lot of churches here in Moscow. Yes. So thank you, Jim, for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you. Yeah. We're in his living room. Uh, this is uh, a, a huge blessing to be able to talk with you and hear your story again. Um, you've blessed so many of us um, already and looking forward to really sh- to sharing this with, with our listeners. Um, w- would you t- start? You just have to start by, <laughs> by telling us how you came to the Lord. I grew up in a, in a non-Christian home non-religious, I should say, non-Christian, but not, it was a moral home. I, it was during the war. In 1943, I was 15, and I was talking to a Methodist pastor. I was telling him I could hardly wait to get 17 to get into the Navy. (laughs) He said, a Christian should not be in the military. So I quoted to him, Battle him of the Republic. Christ died to make men holy. Let us die to make men free. Mm. Mm. He said, die if you want to, but don't kill to make men free. Mm. Well, that convinced me right there that I should be a conscientious objector if I was a Christian. But I wasn't a Christian. So I was just a patriot. <laughs> so, so, so I enlisted and uh, spent a few months as a, as a sailor. And then I got a Secretary of Navy appointment to the Naval Academy and was sent to prep school. And in prep school, I got a letter addressed to Jim Wilson, Seaman First Class Radio Technician, Delmonte, California. I was in Camp Perry, Virginia. I got the letter. <laughs> so I read the letter. I thought they just knew where I was, but it wasn't for me. I had Bible verses in it. And I sent it back to their address, return address with an apology for opening it. A few days later, a few weeks later, a fellow came into the, into the, uh, a fellow came into the uh, uh, barracks and said, is Jim Wilson here? I said, I'm Jim Wilson. He said, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> he just come from Del Valle, California. You met your twin. <laughs> well, uh, up to that time, I was moral. One sense, I didn't swear, use slang, drink, smoke, run around, and I 
thought if I didn't make it to heaven, it would be thinly populated. You were the, you were the, you were the rich young ruler there. That's right. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was very arrogant, and I lied a lot. And those are the two primary characteristics of the devil. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. I, but anyhow, this Jim Wilson was a Christian. And he was smarter than I was. He's a better athlete than I was. He was happy, rejoicing. And uh, we became friends. But I, up to this time, I felt superior to everybody. Mm-hmm. And now I was suddenly inferior to this guy who was uh, uh, rejoicing, happy, a brain, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I have to be up on him in something because we spent a lot of time with each other. When high school, I spent two years all night in the <coughs> stockyards, and I got to interest in the stars. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I'll name the stars to him tonight. Huh. I'll be up on him or something. Right. So I was naming the stars to him. Not that he needed to know them, but I needed to. <laughs> you need to be <laughs> <him>, right? <laughs> prove, prove your, your yeah, elite. So, anyhow, in the middle of this, he said, Are you going to heaven? Huh. I said, I don't know. I'll wait and find out. He said, What do you think? I said, Yeah, I think so. If I'm not going to make it, I don't know who is going to make it. <laughs> and. He, you laughed. He laughed. Yeah. Well, I. He asked me a serious question. I answered him seriously, and he laughed. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I thought he's putting me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, "If you're so smart, do you know you're going to heaven?" Well, he did. Yeah. And he told me. I couldn't argue with him. So I asked him how he knew. He gave gave me again. So I'm sure he gave me the gospel. Yeah. I said, where did you get this? He said, <laughs> he said, the New Testament. So I found myself a New Testament. Well, at the end of prep school, he got out of the Navy, went to Columbia University, and I entered the Naval Academy. But I was reading the New Testament every day. Hmm. It didn't make any sense. Hmm. It didn't make any sense at all. I read it for 18 or 20 months. But halfway through that time, one of my classmates saw me with the New Testament and thought, I'm probably a Christian, so I invited me into a Bible study. Huh. I said, you mean you can understand this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad to, go to, glad to go to a Bible study. And then he told me it met at 5.45 in the morning. Revelation was at 6.15. Wow. I said, I suddenly didn't want to go to the Bible study. Right. <laughs> and he said, I'll wake you up. So he woke me up, and this Bible study met in a broom closet, four or five guys. And other guys like this Jim Wilson. And sometimes I'd try to fake it, pretend I was a Christian. Well, I decided to go to this study, and then I found out it met seven days a week at 545. <laughs> what did I commit to? <laughs> so I, I went to it. And uh, oh, far. I started going to it in January, my freshman year, and uh, I, I, summertime, 
I went on a cruise to Portsmouth, England, and uh, some guy fixed me up with a girl who worked in a hotel laundry, uh, Hotel Russell Laundry in Russell Square. And uh, the object was to get buy a bottle of wine and, and feed the wine to the girls while we were necking in the square. <laughs> and uh, I... And apparently the object was to take them to bed. Right. Well, I helped purchase a bottle, a bottle, but I I didn't drink. Well, sure enough, the women, girls got drunk, but they didn't get friendly drunk. They got unfriendly drunk. <laughs> Oops. So I went back to the ship, just grateful. Got back to the academy. And started going to this pre-revelry group again. And uh, again, I got fixed up with some girls after a football game in Baltimore. I sat through the game and I said, if I show up at the 40-yard line, I'm going to be in trouble. I don't want to be in trouble. So I skipped out on that blind date. Mm -hmm. I was wandering through Baltimore. And I in every big city, there's a bad part of town. I must say, and in, in the bad part of town, in Baltimore, it's called the block. Mm -hmm. So I was on the block, wondering what in the world a Christian does on Saturday night in Baltimore. And I thought, well, those Christians, those other guys would probably go to church. <laughs> but who ever heard of a church on Saturday night? Mm. But I bought a newspaper and looked up hundreds of church advertisements for Sunday and sure enough, I found one. It said Saturday night, corner North Avenue, St. Paul. I went up to it, got a cab, went out there, got went up halfway up the balcony steps, looked over, and sure enough, I saw three midshipmen, five rows to the front. So I went down, never <laughs> move over, and one of them was the guy that had my Bible study in the morning. Mm, wow! The two I had two other studies. Well, the speaker was a Filipino, uh, speaking from the 40th Psalm. He said, uh, he lifted me up out of the miry, miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, put a new song in my heart. I remember the text, gave an invitation, and didn't respond to it, but Pete, after everybody left, he took me into another room and introduced me to the father. Hmm. And uh, he was a year ahead of me, so he didn't have to go home as soon. So I caught a bus back to the Naval Academy and uh, wanted to sing. Mm. I didn't know any songs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wanted and, to uh, sing. But he did wow. not know any songs. So I, I thought, well, I got to tell the brigade of midshipmen that if Jesus Christ could save me, he could save anybody. <laughs> but I thought about that for a while, and I thought, no. If I did that, the Navy would take a dim view of it and ship me over to the hospital <laughs> and send me home. <laughs> right. So I decided uh, I got to tell somebody. And I said, no, if I tell my roommate, he knows I read my Bible. He doesn't know I don't. It doesn't make any sense. Right. He knows I'd get up before Reverend to meet with some fanatics around the corner. 
So if I just tell him, I've been saved for my sins, he's going to say, what sins will somebody try to get you to sin all year? <laughs> He'll blow your cover, right? <laughs> so I, I didn't tell him. Oh, two or three weeks went by, and he said, okay, what happened? I said, what do you mean what happened? Oh, we'd fight a lot in the room. He said, you've been unbearably pleasant for... Unbearably. I've been telling people ever since. <clears throat> well, that's uh, yeah. my that's conversion. Great. I, I like how your story begins with um, you thinking that if, if God doesn't save you then then how is anybody going to get to yeah, heaven that's right, yeah, too and, and then you kind of end with well if god can save me then he can save anybody <laughs> right. yeah. yeah that's that's really good well and and following this um the lord has given you gave you a ministry in in the navy yes uh, beginning there um you began telling people about jesus yes yeah, so i didn't know much actually i was pretty quiet for the next couple of years that was my sophomore year. And uh, the summer before my, <clears throat> my senior year, coming back from Cherbourg, France, <clears throat> I prayed. I said, God, I had no witness going over. Give me an opportunity for witness going back. I no sooner prayed that when an ensign came out of the wardroom. The wardroom was for the officers eat. And uh, he told my classmates, the captain said they'd like to have divine worship services on the ship next day. When he said that, each officer said, excuse me, captain, and got out of the wardroom as fast as they could before they got nominated by the captain <laughs> to get extra services. <laughs> and so when the last one went out, the captain said, well, nobody can check them. I guess we can't have them. Hmm. I said, well, I'll do it. It was, I, I recognized the answer to prayer when I saw it. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. He said, the captain's on the bridge. So I went to the bridge. Sorry, I said, I'd be glad to conduct the worship services. I'd never done anything like that. And he said, wonderful. He said, I only have two requirements. I picked the hymns. I only know two hymns. I'm going to sing the two I know. <laughs> <laughs> Second... I think as a captain, I had to read the scripture lesson. Tell me what scripture you want read, and I'll read it. So all afternoon, I prepared, but I tried to prepare something so I wouldn't get in trouble. Like go ashore, like how to go to shore without getting in trouble or something. And the next morning, we sung the hymns, read the scripture lesson. And I, I can't do that. I better preach the gospel. So I spoke on John one twenty nine. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Mm. Well I started that and uh the captain was looking at the deck, the executive officer was looking at the deck, Lieutenant Commander Rainey was looking at the deck, the engine was looking at the deck, <laughs> and ten sailors were looking at me. And I realized I was in trouble. <laughs> so I, I talked as fast as I could. And then it said, if anybody would like to be a Christian, you can see me after church. Well, it was noon. So seven of the ten sailors came up to see me. One of them was a Christian, the other six wanted to be saved. 
I said, I'll meet you at the number one, two gun mount after lunch. <laughs> so that's a, that was the type of ship, not the same ship. And uh, so I met with them after, and I'd say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And uh, we know that. How do we believe? I don't know. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying. So, that's uh, how. So anyhow, I spent an hour or so with them. When an ROTC midshipman came up and said, Mr. Wilson, Lieutenant Commander Rainey wants to see in his stateroom. So I went up there. He was the officer in charge of the midshipman. So I went in, stood at attention, sounded off, gave my name, rating, stuff like that. He didn't say, at ease. He didn't say, have a seat. So I stated attention. He said, Mr. Wilson, what you said this morning has me interested. I'd like to become a Christian. Oh, wow. And so I tried to witness to him standing at attention. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he called me up once or twice more, but I'm not sure about that. Mm. Wow. We, we got to Guantanamo Bay and uh, Cuba, and uh, I was off the deck. Oh no, on, on the way to Cuba, uh, all the, my classmates wanted to go to the club. They couldn't go to, on the main islands of Cuba, had to stay in the base. They wanted to go to clubs so they, they could drink. Mm -hmm. Well, I had 690 classmates, and the officers didn't want 690 classmates scattered throughout the ship, the fleet. And so they decided, each officer could have one guest, and we had about 10 officers, and a lot more of my classmates said, oh, I want to go. I said, well, leave me out of the shake. They're gone. I don't know how you can tell it, but anyhow. Uh, so they couldn't all go. I said, leave me out, or I don't want to go. So I was watching this uh, decision on who was going to get invited. When a sailor came down from the bridge and said, Mr. Wilson, the captain says you're his guest at the club tonight. Wow. So I went ashore in the gig with the captain, and huh. the guys went ashore in the launch. Wow. And we had a private table, and the captain confessed his sins to me like I was a Catholic priest all of his life. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a commander. I was a midshipman. Wow. And he got drunk on Añejos, a rum mixture. Uh -huh. And I got drunk on Coca-Cola. <laughs> 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 so anyhow, uh, later on, I was also deck at midnight. And what you do there, you, all the sailors returning um, from Liberty, they did two things. They saluted the flag, and they saluted the officer deck and said, request permission to come aboard, sir. And I'd return the salute, permission granted, or Lieutenant Commander Rainey came aboard, three sheets to the wind, <laughs> drunk as could be, everything, didn't salute anything, stumbled off to his room. I didn't see him again until we got to Norfolk. And he got me, he said, Mr. Wilson, you've been doing a lot of talk on this cruise. I want you 
I went to um, do all the talking today. He said, I want you to know you're unsatisfactory as a naval officer. I've been a, I've been a good guy and given you a passing grade, but barely passing huh. for, on leadership. He said, I fire you. I'd get out of the Navy as fast as you can because you'd be lucky to make lieutenant junior grade. So I listened to all this. Got back to the academy a couple weeks later. The company officer called me in. He said, Wilson, why'd you do it? Cruise, what's the meaning of this? Awful. Great. He said, we can't change him. It's going to follow you. Yeah. Our leadership. So if you want to resign, I'll recommend it. I said, I don't want to resign. Uh, we're not allowed to resign every your second year. Not this is my senior year. I didn't resign. And one day I was talking to the chaplain. He's a liberal chaplain in his office. And Alvarez picked it up, and I could hear the voice on the other end of the. And I was the subject of the conversation, and the conversation was, "What do we do with Wilson?" <laughs> wow. And uh, I'm one of six hundred ninety. Well, the next thing happened, I got caught up to see the assistant to the commandant. He was a Navy hero. He had, he had flown a pre-2V nonstop from Perth, Australia to Columbus, Ohio. And I got thinking Navy Cross for it. Wow. And he, he said, Mr. Wilson, there are three things our officer at sea does not talk about. He doesn't talk about politics, religion, or women. Well, I knew he was wrong on all three. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't argue with him. Yeah. He said, yeah. when you go to sea, I want you to leave all this stuff ashore. Well, I was beginning to think, uh, right, I wasn't going to make Lieutenant Junior great. <laughs> a few years before, I was wondering how I could be a Christian and a naval officer mm -hmm. yeah, because of killing people. But now I was wondering... How do we be a Christian and an officer because the Navy doesn't like Christians? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So uh, mm. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I resigned. Huh. Sent a letter to the Secretary of the Navy and got approved all the way up. So I started checking out seminaries. Mm. And, and I had a course called Ordinance and Gunnery. I said, well, I'm not going to need this. So I quit studying ordinance and gunnery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and got back a letter from the SECNAV saying, uh, resignation disapproved. You're in for four or five years, something like that. Oh, really? Oh, really? Wow. Uh, oh, wow. Well, now I didn't know what I was doing, couldn't do. Flunking ordinance and gunnery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow. Wow. But anyhow, I, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, I, I'm going to take a weekend and go to Washington, D.C. And I got in there, went, went to the Washington Bible College because the bunks were cheaper than a motel. Mm -hmm. And a roommate, he's 40s, I guess. And I, what, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm preaching in a, a church that's walking distance from here. I said, can I come along? I said, yes. He said, yes. So we walk in there. He stopped and bought a newspaper and read the newspaper of Order Christ. Then he stopped and got his shoe shine 
Glad the shoes started better at Christ. <laughs> and it kept happening like this. And on Sunday afternoon, I said, what are you doing next week? He said, I'm teaching. I'm teaching uh, evangelism to Christian businessmen in Annapolis, Maryland. I said, what are you doing in the afternoon? He said, nothing. Okay, I said, I gave you a map. I said, I want you to sit in the south end of Memorial Hall at 3.30 tomorrow afternoon, Monday afternoon. Don't do anything else, just sit there. So I got back to Academy. I went to all the six Bible study groups in the six wings. I said, whoever you're witnessing to, have him at the south end of Memorial Hall tomorrow afternoon at 3.30. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, coming back from the fifth week, I saw a classmate from Omaha. I very seldom saw him. We were in the same town. His name was Frank Young. Went in to speak to him, and he met me with a blast of four-letter words. Huh. I said, what's eating you? Well, the Congress had just voted in there'd be an Air Force. And all Army Air Corps people were suddenly in the Air Force. But they didn't have any source of new officers. So they decided 25% of the Naval Academy and 25% of West Point could, could go to the Air Force. Well, I had more classmates who wanted to go to Texas and wanted to go to the Med. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, he, he had wanted to draw more than 25%. So he went out in town, bought Air Force uniforms and a blue convertible, and came back to the academy and found out the superintendent decided there'd be a redrawing, and he already had his Air Force uniforms and his convertible. Oh, wow. wow. So that's why he, he said went, all these bad words to me. I said, look, I have a solution to your problem. He said, what's that? It's the south end of Memorial Hall for my afternoon at 3.30. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what's that? I'm not telling you. Well, I, I couldn't go because I was wrong crew, crew practice. I came in from crew practice, went in from Moore Hall, and the meeting was just ended. And Frank was there. I asked him about the Air Force. He didn't care. He'd just become a Christian. Wow. And <laughs> 40 years later, I had a class reunion, talking about a few Christians, and Frank came up. He said, you know what happened to Gene Cheeley? That was the name of this evangelist. Yeah. I said, I don't know. And Eric Nelson, Gene Sheely, he's that guy that led 10 midshipmen to Christ. <laughs> wow. And mm -hmm. Frank said, I was wondering, yeah. well, that did it for me. That said, now I know I'm in the Navy. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're gonna be an evangelist. I'm going to be an evangelist. Yeah. We're going to take a break here and, uh, and come back in just a minute and talk to Pastor Jim Wilson some more. This is good. Yeah, I want to hear about why Moscow... Yeah, we're gonna get yeah. to that. Yeah. Why yeah. Moscow? Yeah, That's all right. A long time later. <laughs> <laughs> More with Jim Wilson next on Cross Politics. This is Cy Timbrinke with Answer Anyone Apologetics. In Romans 9.39, the Apostle Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can read those verses with tears streaming down our faces. What comfort, what assurance. Then what do we do? We go out into the world and tell unbelievers that we could be wrong. We say, 
If I'm wrong, I die, rot in the ground, worms in my body. But if I'm right, I get to go to heaven and be with God forever. If you're right, you die, rot in the ground, and worms in your body. But if you're wrong, you end up in hell. What have you got to lose? We give them Pascal's wager. We reduce God to a bet, to a probability. That's not the God that we read about in the Bible. That's not the God that we worship in church. If you could be wrong, then you can't say that nothing will separate you from the love of God. The God of the Bible is not a bet. He's not a good bet. He's not even the best bet. The God of the Bible certainly exists and has certainly revealed himself. If you're not defending your faith in that God, you're doing it wrong. As Christians, God is Lord of our theology. It's time that we recognize him as Lord of our apologetic as well. For more apologetic answers, visit AnswerAnyone.com. Welcome back to Cross Politic. With us today, a special edition. We are uh, we are in the living room of Jim Wilson, Godfather Jim, Godfather Jim Wilson, um, and and we just heard phenomenal story of how he came to the Lord. His the beginning of his ministry in the Naval Academy. You actually have a book out that just came out about your time in, in the Naval in the Navy, right? Is it is it this one? Twelve. Yeah. The the USNA twelve by Jim Wilson. This is available at Canon. No, it's um, or is it's available. Community, it's community Christian Ministries. Community Christian Ministries, and it's a, basically a book on all the te- Jim's testimony and all the testimonies that he was a right. part of. While so, he was if you want to hear yeah. more stories about um, Jim Wilson sharing the gospel with people in the Naval Academy and in the Navy, that's the book to get, right? Yes, and we'll we'll uh, send out a link through our email okay. and all, all that right. stuff. Yeah. Now, from Annapolis, Maryland. Somehow you ended up in Moscow, Idaho. Fast forward. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Why Moscow, Idaho? Well, first, before I went to Annapolis, I spent six years in the Pacific Fleet okay. in the Korean War. Yeah. And my life was spared three times mm. that time. The ship hit a mine mm. right underneath my battle station. And I was called out of my battle station right before we hit the mine. What? Wow. wow. And and uh, I was on the highest point of the ship at the main battery director. We hit the mine. I asked permission to get back. He said, no. My boss said, no. I'm reporting the captain. You can take charge here. Well, I tried to call my battle station, which is main one deck, but all the main deck. And up to that time, we were on the front lines. Uh, and I... I Pulled the trigger. The trigger was on the edge of a, of a computer, mm-hmm. and uh, so I did that for twenty days uh, at the front lines. Now we're way north to enforce the undeclared blockade, and we were as close in range to destroy some boxcars near Tenshan, North Korea. Mm. So we're at battle stations. And uh, we were close to the range, and that's where I got this call, and I went up. And then we hit the mine, and I couldn't call anybody. He told me to stay there. Well, I'd been commissioned the 2nd of June. This is the 26th of September. I'd been an officer that long. Mm. I stayed there. 
And I said, this is, finally I said, this is stupid. So I yelled to the captain and uh, asked permission. He was involving on the bridge. He gave me permission to leave. So I got down to the main deck. Well, 35 men, third degree burns from the explosion. But the damage control people had got up to where it was. And, and the mine hit right underneath my battle station, obliterated wow. it. Wow. And the man I left in charge, the chief pay officer, had blown clear, but he only lived two hours. Mm. And then, um, another thing I found out that when they, they didn't pull me out, I knew that was how I was in charge of that battle station, and I didn't come out. So word went around the ship very fast. I was the only officer killed. Hmm. And so I got down to the main deck and found out I'd been dead for 90 minutes. <laughs> and, but I knew I... Well, there are a lot, a lot of things. I, I didn't know why I was spared. Mm. And uh, because I'd just gone to heaven. <laughs> and it was. But anyhow, many people came to Christ on that ship because the whole ship knew that God had spared my life. <laughs> I didn't tell them, they told them. Wow. The gunner officer. The skipper, everybody knew this. So I had set up a closing session on the torpedo deck. You just you just had endless and this, access to all uh, these people because right. of that experience, and, and the Lord yeah. opened up all sorts of doors. And yes, yeah. and 30 minutes in dry dock. Oh, there's some wonderful stories there. But, you know, I asked for another ship remaining in the forward area. And got the USS Brinkley Bass. There's a uh, harbor in North Korea, perfectly round harbor called Wonsan. And it was all con North Korea controlled it, but we kept it open for pilots who came for the carriers. If they had to ditch, they could ditch in the harbor instead of the open sea. So we kept a destroyer in there to pick up down pilots. Well, I was, I was in one sun in two weeks in 51, two weeks in 52, and two weeks in 53. Mm. And I uh, got a near miss and lost a man near me on on that ship. Well, anyhow, after several, 30 months on that ship, I had a year of graduate school then, orders to command the naval forces far east, and then to Commander Carrier Division Five. And by this time, Bessie and Doug and Evan were in Yokohama, and I got six months sea duty um, from there. But on this, this carrier, many ten officers and thirty-five enlisted men came to Christ. Well. Wow. In six weeks, and I didn't know but one of them. Wow. And I didn't initiate the conversation with any of them. Wow. But I, I prayed that, well, I, that's a long story there, but that God would lead them to me. Mm -hmm. And they did. 
Well, after that, I realized I was not given the Navy the time of day I was evangelizing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and so, a lot of reasons, I resigned my commission and spent two years in D.C. as an East Coast staff member and traveled to all the academies. And uh, then, two years later, moved to Annapolis to open up a bookstore. And three years after that, the officers, Christian, wanted to close the store. He said, don't close it, give it to me. So they gave it to me with $3,000 debt, which would be about $35,000 debt now. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I prayed and prayed, worried and prayed for $3,000, didn't get it. Finally, one morning in the shower, I knew I had the answer. Got dressed, told Best we didn't have to pray anymore. We had the $3,000. Went down to the store, told the treasurer of our little corporation, we didn't have to pray anymore. We had the $3,000. At about noon, I got a telephone call from a stockbroker in New Jersey. Huh? telling me that a client of his had told him to sell $3,000 worth of stock and send a check to Jim Wilson. <laughs> I'm, he said, I'm calling you to find out how to make out the check and what's your address. Wow. I got it the next day. Wow. Well, it was now in these, it was these days when that, uh, these people came to Christ. Uh-huh. When I was in Annapolis at that time. Yeah. And uh, I did that for... 68, went to, went to uh, the University of Michigan, to open up bookstore at the University of Michigan. And also because I, I, nothing happened in Annapolis and I decided and I had to get out of the way so other people would do things. I spent three years in, in uh, Ann Arbor. And then I'd written the principles of war. And one thing about the principles of war, I was convinced of the truth in it. And one of the, tr- one of the truths in principles of war is a, a statement that's called the decisive point. Mm-hmm. The decisive point is a point at which, if you fought the battle and won it in, world, in regular warfare, uh, if you fought the battle and won it, you'd do more than win the battle, you'd win the war. It'd be decisive. Right. Yeah. Well, the two things that determine a decisive point one is its importance, and second, its feasibility. Mm-hmm. So I was now praying to leave Ann Arbor because I knew that wasn't a decisive point. And I said, Where are the decisive points in this country? New York City. All I have to do is take New York City for Jesus Christ and have just taken the country. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> what's wrong with it? Important but not feasible. Right, right. right. And so I checked out other big cities, important but not feasible. <coughs> so I broke it down by state. <coughs> and uh, what's the important place? Well, the big city, the state capital, and the state university. <coughs> well, the big city, not feasible, state capital. Not as important because it's made of 
old people and politicians. <laughs> right. So, so, have the state universities in a big city. So it had to be a state university in a small town. State university made it important. Small town. Made it feasible. Made it feasible. Right. So I was, I was checking them all. Newark, Delaware, Charlottesville, Virginia, Urbana, Illinois. I was checking every small town with a university in the country. Right. And one day, I got a letter, from, one from Idaho with a $25 check in it from a guy who had come to Christ in Japan 15 years before. <laughs> he got this $25 check, and I got a letter from Pullman, Washington, from a fellow who wanted me to open up a bookstore in Pullman, Washington. Wow. So I looked at the map and found out how two universities in two small towns in two different states, nine miles apart. Yeah. All I have to do is fight the battle in one place and take two states. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, that wasn't the only reason here, but I was convinced by... I didn't want to drop it on Bessie. <laughs> so, so I didn't. I didn't want her to put the brakes on. <clears throat> right. She's capable of doing that. Yeah. Wild-eyed husband. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't tell her. I remember praying in the morning that Bessie would be open to it. And that evening, Bessie said, Jim, do you think God saying something to us about Idaho. I said, we'll check it out together. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys were in Michigan at this point. Yes. Yeah, right. Wow. Right. And when, when did you move here? We, we spied out the land in February. We moved in July. Of what year was that? In 71. Okay. Wow. Um, wow. And we, and we fell into it right away. Yeah. I was... Uh, we got the book store started in in Pullman, six weeks, and then moved to Moscow. And the pastor of the Lutheran Church, believer, was driving me around looking for places to live. He said, that place is uh, for rent. I said, how do you know? He said, we were saving it for, for me to get an assistant pastor, but we're not going to get one, so I know it's still available. Mm. I'll take you to, to the owner, Donnie Olson. And Donnie, I said, what's it like? He says, four bedrooms, two baths, uh, $150 a month, and no lease, and you can move in tomorrow. I said, I'll take it. He said, oh, you want to see it? I said, I don't need to see it. And he said, I'd say so to see it. So it was right, you know, our Northwestern Mutual, uh, insurance company is. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. that was a parking lot, and the house right next to it is burned down. It's not there. Okay. Was the house. Wow. And so he pulled into the parking lot, and behind the house was a garage right next to the uh, high school, or bank. Right. From the high school. Right. And uh, a bunch of kids smoking around the garage. I said, what's that? He said, well, they're not allowed to smoke on school grounds. So in breaks, they step out of the school grounds and smoke. That's your backyard. Right. I, I said, boy, that's over the, the, the bookstore. 
in the garage. Yeah. Well, that was right before Labor Day. So on Tuesday, I went to the city. They said, not zoned for a bookstore. She can't have a bookstore there. Okay. So I told my three children, Doug Evans, Heather, they could have their garage and do whatever they wanted to do. I was going to get a bookstore going. And so I got one in the Moscow Hotel uh, basement. But anyhow, why was... Uh, uh, oh, that was end of that week. And the kid said, Dad, come on, look at the garage. Why, well, Evan was an artist. He did that painting up there. And oh, yeah. He... He had graphic inside the garage, uh, all Jesus stuff. Okay. And so it was a little bit embarrassing <laughs> to Bessie and me to see all this stuff on all the walls. But we'd always pray our kids would be unashamed of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. so we thank God, but that's not the way we would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> so on Monday morning, the kids were out there smoking by the garage. So Doug took a stack of Jesus People newspapers that he got in Spokane, went out to hand them out to the kids. So Heather, we were, Heather looked out the kitchen window. She said, Dad, there's a police car out by the garage. So I went out there, and the policeman was saying to the kids, listen, there's been too many complaints from too many neighbors for too many years, too much debris and too much noise. Make my job easy and split. <laughs> and Doug, I said to the officer, I said, well, they can smoke in our garage if they'd like to. <laughs> he said, what's well, your garage? <laughs> so they all ran into the garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we kept it open for about eight months. Yeah. And there's two names for it. One of the names was Doper's Ditch, and the other's name was God's Garage. <laughs> and, and Doug ran it, but he was enlisted in the Navy before he left Ann Arbor. Yeah. So he was there for a month. He just, with his guitar, yeah. could play everything from a bottle of wine to Jesus songs. Yeah. From 8 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. Wow. Well, he left for the Navy. And I had these... 80 kids a day, maybe wow. 30 at a time when they were in class. Is it 80 kids a day? Wow. Uh, 80 kids who had been in trouble since the third grade. Oh, and wow. Coming so, into your garage. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, well, when, uh, when that's happened, the first bell rang, and all the kids left, and I said, Doug, we fell into this. <laughs> I said, so we went down to uh, the telephone company, and got a bunch of free cable spools for tables. Uh huh. And then, and up and there's a uh, upstairs in this garage, and we looked up there, and a dozen kitchen chairs up there in the garage. Wow. Pulled them down. So we're out there getting the cable spools. We flagged down a Pepsi truck, turned around, put a Pepsi machine in. Yeah. That's and, your garage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a stove in there, and caught a fuel company hook up the stove yeah so we're in business wow except <laughs> i was i was there i was supposed to be running a store right, <laughs> right. wow right and, uh, yeah um, 
anyhow, we kept it up firm. We had rules, loud and excessive profanity, exile for one day. Yeah. At which time they got loud and excessive. (laughs) 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 They'd throw rocks at the garage center bar. Oh, wow. And they broke the windows many times, several times. I boarded up the windows. And finally, in the springtime, somebody threw a bottle, beer bottle, it shattered, and some kid got it, eight stitches. Uh-oh. So I, I, closed the, I closed the garage. And uh, do you ever, a bookstore. Do you ever hear from kids that were involved in God's Garage? Yes, I have recently. But uh, one of them, I haven't seen him for a long time, runs a mechanic shop down there in West Plus or East Plus yeah. River Drive. Yeah, yeah. And another one is a cabinet shop on uh, going out on 95 to the left as you go wow. south. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Cabinets? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chip. One of the yeah. things. Does Chip was? Yeah. No way. Yeah. 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 One of the things that you've, you've said to me a number of times, Jim, is that um, one of the one of the key verses that you've shared many times is where, where Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. Here it is. I got it open to it. It's already open, right? Um, pray that God will send worker laborers, workers out to the harvest. And, and you've said to me, that means that there are more non-Christians eager to come into the kingdom, ready to be saved than there are Christians Will want them saved. They want them saved. Oh. That's right. Yeah. That's, uh, Explain that. Well, at first I believe it. More people. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Right. Okay, that right there says it's harvest time, not not plowing and planting. Right. Harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. Plentiful. So I've just assumed that in a given instant, what had happened first on that aircraft carrier, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I started praying that my orders would be canceled so I could stay with my family. Mm-hmm. And I found myself praying that I'd go soon. I said, God, I was praying that the way I went. I said, if you are out there, any, any naval officer could do the job. I'm not needed. But if you want me out there in evangelism, I'd be glad to go. So I began to imagine 250 officers, 2,500 men. Suppose half of those officers are ready to receive Jesus Christ right now. I don't have to plow or plant. I just have to say, get on your knees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, <laughs> I said, but suppose i six months on that ship and I have opportunity to witness half of those officers and leave the ship in six months with no converts. Why? A witness to the wrong half. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was perfectly capable of doing that. Right. I thought, well, suppose only 10. Could I miss the right 10? Easier I can. Yes. I said, God, I don't want to do that. Tell me how to recognize. And before I went on the ship, I went to hear a missionary speak. He spoke of the three hardest hardest cases of personal evangelism in the history of the world. The Ethiopian eunuch. God used Philip for a revival in Samaria. As I had the revival, he said, 
go down to Ga- that road toward Gaza. He said, this is a desert road. Didn't even tell him any people there. Philip went down there and saw this chariot come along, wealthy chariot. And the Holy Spirit said, go join yourself in that chariot. So he ran to the chariot, got up close, and heard the Ethiopian reading Isaiah 53 aloud in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. He said, I understand what you're reading. No. Did you tell me? So he got up, led him to Christ, baptized him in an oasis, and But no Christian would have gone to see a black man in a top hat in a rich chariot. That's <laughs> 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 true. So God led the Ethiopian to Philip and Philip to the Ethiopian. Yeah. That's the eighth chapter. In the ninth chapter, Saul of Tarsus yeah. going to Damascus to arrest Christians. Three days later, Lord appears to Ananias in a dream. And said, Ananias, go to Street Street and speak to Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> you don't know why he's here. You've been reading the papers. Right. He's there to get me. <laughs> he said, no. He's a chosen vessel. And he's been praying. And he's seen a man named Ananias coming to him yeah. to receive your sight. Yeah. So he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. God led Saul to Ananias and Ananias to Saul, mm. but no Christian would normally do that. Right, right. The third one, in that chapter, an officer in the occupation army, Cornelius, mm. not a Jew, a Gentile, yeah. military officer. He was praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. An angel appeared to him, said, go to Joppa and find Peter, gave him the street address again, yeah. at a seaside. He'll tell you how to be saved. Yeah. So he sent three men. They arrived the next noon. Peter's just had three visions on the rooftop. Right. Wondering what they meant. Why he's still thinking about it. The Holy Spirit said, there are three men knocking at the door. Don't ask any questions. Just go with them. Right. So he got there. Led the whole family to Christ. But uh, who's going to go to this army officer? Mm-hmm. And... No. God right. led the army officer to Peter, Peter to the army officer. Boy, I thought this is wonderful. I went aboard ship, found the one Christian, Ross Olson. I said, I told him what I just learned. Mm-hmm. Let's pray every afternoon at four that God, since we can't be trusted to be led to the right person, let's have God lead him to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what happened. And you've, uh, been, and you've been doing that for many years. Well, yes, and uh, it happened that time. So I've been there. So I'm not in the bookstore. I'm not going door to door. So I just pram in the front door. Right. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> sitting here in in your living room. And, Hi, Catherine. Come in. And, and speaking of which, you may come in. <laughs> Catherine. Hello. Catherine's my physical therapist. Hi, Catherine. Hi. But, but in, Hi. In, in in addition to. Uh, you know, my help physically. She also wants to know all about the gospel. Yeah. And wow. So we we spare. When she quits giving me physical therapy, she's still going to come over. Good. <laughs> Good. That's great. How, so, Catherine, that's what we've been talking about. Yeah. How, how old are you now? I'll be 90 in October. 90 in October. Wow. Fantastic. Um <laughs> I want to I want to list off Jim's books 
so that we can be. I know we're going to include this in the uh, in the email that goes out. But yeah. um, one of the one of the ones that um, you wrote many years ago that um, has I think borne a lot of fruit is how to be free from bitterness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, My there, wife likes that. There's a booklet form of that. I think there's also a book form. There's some other. It's in twenty languages. And it's in twenty languages. Wow! Praise God. Um, uh, I, I highly recommend that. How to be free from bitterness. Um, we also re- he referenced earlier. Uh, the principles of warfare, mm-hmm. um, which talk a little bit about the principles or principles of war yeah. um, applied to evangelism, yeah. and that's the idea of again a decisive yeah. decisive battles. Um, you also have a, a newer book on evangelism. Two new ones. Two new ones. Oh, and called Weapons and Tactics, which is here. Okay, Weapons and Tactics. And Taking Men Alive. Taking Men Alive. Oh, I heard about that. I read Taking Men Alive last year and really, really enjoyed that. Where, where can we go to get these books at? I think... Uh, some are at Canon and some are at CCM, Community Christian Ministries. Yeah. Canon Press. Yep, yeah. Canon Press. Okay. Uh, .org. Yep. Uh, but we'll make sure that we include links, but um, get your hands on those. Um and then there's a number of just booklets, um, uh, assurances of salvation. Yes. Um, how to maintain joy uh, and repentance and restitution, which are just basic, practical Christianity 101. Right. Which is super is helpful. There, is there one on parenting too? Um, s- saturation love. Saturation love. I think is the one, at least the one yeah. I can think of. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's also in the bitterness book, but also we've got two others, one on. How to win your wayward children, your adult wayward children, back to the Lord. Okay. Ooh. Another one called uh, How to Be a Responsible Man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Roger good. Boothman has it on his book table at WSU. Okay. And all the guys take it and all the women take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of, course, right. of course they do. We <laughs> have those listed for sure yeah. on the, on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Hey. Brother Wilson, it was a very good pleasure to have you with us on Cross Politic. Thank you. I enjoyed that very much. I know I took too much time. No, you didn't. No, 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 you didn't. Not at all. I enjoyed every moment. It was perfect. Yeah, we're so grateful for you here in Moscow and so grateful for the influence you've had in the church. Thank you. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic.